0: It is great to see you on a day like today. I am so glad that you found a boat slip for your canoe. (laughs) Yeah, lots of rain, right? So anyway, uh, every once in a while, somebody will make uh, a comment to me about how it must be at my household, and uh, they think you know that Pastor Lisa and and myself, you know, we live on this cloud, you know, like we're, you know, everything is just holy. And I go, well, you know, actually, we're just like you guys. My wife is away on uh, a women's retreat and they'll be coming back later today. So like any good wife, she checks in with me. Here was my morning with my wife texting. Good morning, what are you wearing today? I said, still deciding. She said, make me proud. Finally, I said, black pants, Blue dress shirt. Long sleeve, she says. I wanted to type back, no, it's a muscle shirt. (laughs) So I I text back, yeah, and I drew out the word, yeah, yes. And then she said, heart, I love you. (laughs) See everything I have to go through just to get an I love you? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) The other reason I'm saying that is because I know she's listening. And there's no rebuttal. Every guy's dream, right? (laughs) Until she gets home. (laughs) But anyway, we are in the middle of a series on the book of Romans. And it's called Piercing the Darkness. And uh, today, I, I haven't been going verse by verse. I've been going subject by subject. And so there are places I am going by verse by verse. And I'm in the middle of that. And in particular, uh, I'm in Romans 1, but I'm doing verses 18 through 32. Yeah, really controversial text with where our culture is today. So we're going to pick it up midstream, but I want you to know if you're new today, this is actually the third message on that passage. So you may want to go back and listen to the previous messages because we're going to jump into the middle of some hot stuff today. We're talking about human sexuality in the eyes of God. And certainly our culture is trying to redefine that. So would you stand for the reading of the word? And we're gonna read the last section of this particular passage. We'll be reading uh, seven verses. So everybody, like I said, did I tell you it's a hot topic? Here we go, everybody read it. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do not what ought to be done. I'll get it. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And everybody said, help Pastor Greg. Hey, Jesus, we do. We pray right now for the word. Some parts of your word ring more true to us than at other times, and certainly with where we're at in this particular culture on this day. This seems to speak very directly to some of these controversial topics. And so I pray, first of all, that hearts and minds are open to hear God's word. And that, Lord, we allow you to shape and fashion us in the way that you want. And wherever culture may be having a different agenda or trying to reshape us in ways that the word has another direction for us, I pray that we'll choose the word and that we'll trust you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You can be seated. So again, if you're new today, I know that that's probably a strong text that we read today, and if you're new, you're thinking, oh, dear Lord, what did I just walk into today? But I want you to be aware of, like I said, the topic, Piercing the Darkness. And this is a book that Paul wrote to the Christians as they were trying to live out in a very dark world, a very dark culture, which was Roman at the time. And so you'll see that a lot of the challenges they had then, we have the same challenges today. So what was Paul's instruction as to how we ought to address and face these things? So before I get into the actual text, I'm gonna say a couple things. Number one, I'm gonna kind of give you the outline today. First of all, I'm gonna share with you why the, where the Bible tells me as a pastor how I should approach the matter. There are scriptures that speak to how a pastor ought to address topics in the Bible. And I'm gonna read it to you in a second. The next thing that you need to be aware of is I'm probably going to give you a little more context than I normally do, because it helps to understand the momentum of Scripture and why Paul was saying what he did. Because if you just jump in and you don't have the momentum of what he was doing and why, you miss so much of the messaging. So I'm going to set that up a little more, and then we're going to talk about the text. So let's back this up. The way that I approach it, if you've attended here for any kind of time, you know that I do a lot of what I call background, context, and here's a reason that I take this approach. It goes into 2 Timothy, this is chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Paul is writing Timothy, this is around 68 AD, okay, Paul's incarcerated and he's not going to get out alive. And Paul has a pretty good inkling that he's not going to get out alive. He knows this is it. And so Timothy is his protege, so to speak, to continue on the preaching of the gospel. Timothy is handling one of the churches that Paul started, but Paul recognizes that Timothy is going to be stepping up into some bigger roles because Paul knows his death is imminent very soon. And so this is what he writes to Timothy, but it's so applicable, like I said, even to a pastor like myself. It says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of hearing in his kingdom I give you this charge preach the word be prepared in season and out let me just say that means this preach the things that you are ready for but be prepared to preach about stuff that you aren't ready for cuz some things cycle in and you could see it coming and there's other things that just surprise you be ready and it says to correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction do you see the, the, the attitude with which things should be presented? Patience. You don't browbeat people into the kingdom of God. Okay? You try to show them so that they'll choose. Second thing, careful instruction. That's making sure that you know what you're about to say is the truth. So being careful. So I share a lot of what I call because I want you to know why I can make some of the declarations. I want to give you the background. I want you to see what's going on. For the time will come when people uh, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Wow, he could be writing today, couldn't he? They will turn, turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work in evangelists, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Notice this, it says, "Keep your head in all situations. Don't get sucked into the angry rhetoric. That wins nobody. Truth. The strength of truth is not in volume about how loud I can scream it. The the, the power of truth is its truth and it works. The truth will always prevail. There will be times when myths and theories will prevail, but they all end up collapsing because if it's not built on truth, it collapses. It will fall under its own weight. So sometimes you have to be patient and let things play out. You may not want to see that happen, but you have to sometimes in order for truth to prevail. So here's a couple things now as we begin to look at the context. So I'm gonna give careful instruction today, because this is such a hot topic. And let me just say, it's because I know that many of you have friends, coworkers, maybe even a family member who has been swept into these alternative lifestyles. And you think, what do I do? What do I say? How do I reach them? What's, what's, my, what's my conversation with them to be like? Glad you asked that. We're gonna get into that. So here we go. Romans 1, verses 18 through 32 is, is a critical text in addressing this new theology being propagated today. And I've already covered a lot of that text. And now we're covering the last part of it. But here's what's key. And I know I say this a lot, so... If, if you remember it, say it. Right, we all, listen, we start with the context. What's going on? Why? Because until we know what it speaks of back then, we can't know what it speaks of today. Otherwise, you're, you're playing with the words. You're playing with the scriptures. We need to know, what was he speaking to? And then we'll see those parallels coming into the world that we live in today. So let me give you this. I've shared this before, but I need to set it up. The Apostle Paul had taken three missionary trips, 48 AD, 51, and 54 AD. And it's given him a very unique insight on the Roman Empire. Why? Because in Israel, the Apostle Paul had been exposed to the Roman culture and its values. But the Jews still maintained their overall culture and values. So the Jewish culture was still primary, I mean, they were going to the temple. They were still offering sacrifices. They were doing their calls to prayer. They were still celebrating their holidays. They were still educating their children the way that they wanted. But there was this subculture called Rome and they were the governing authorities. But the Jewish people basically had their established culture still intact. And then Paul left Israel and he's traveled Rome for 10 years now all of a sudden he's going to cities and places and the Jewish culture and Christianity aren't the majority. Sometimes they're not even present. And he sees what happens when Rome's values run culture. And so we see after he's witnessing the fruit of Roman values. He sees, okay, we know that these authorities have it, but they can't force it on us as Jewish people. But when you go into their cities and you watch where they've instituted it and it's now been running for generations, Paul starts to see the fruit of that. And that's what he's writing about. He's writing about those 10 years of experience going, these Roman values have bad, bad fruit. This is not working. It is not going well at all. And so that's what he begins to write. So I'm gonna share something with you here. You might wanna take a photo of that and save it. I usually don't say that, but on this particular instance it's important because it's definitely something that you can use. There is a mentality that is sometimes said, if Paul hadn't written Romans one, we wouldn't have all these obstacles to this new sexual agenda. We just need to figure out a way to get rid of Romans one. We need to figure out a way to dismiss it. We know it's there. We need to figure it out. They'll say these these new theologians. How do we how do we dismiss it? And they'll they have a gymnastics process where they can work it out. And they got it all. And here's the thing: they don't recognize their their unfamiliarity with other scriptures in the New Testament. I'm going to show you this because. Some of you are gonna see something totally brand new. The key is this. What was Paul's momentum in addressing the subject matter? He wrote Galatians in 49 AD. He wrote 1 Thessalonians in 51 AD. Evidently, they didn't get it clear enough, so he wrote a second one to them, 2 Thessalonians. And then he wrote 1 Corinthians in 55, 56 AD. And they needed a second follow-up, so he wrote another one right after that, 55, 56 AD. And then he wrote Romans in 57 AD. What I want you to know is this, Romans was his sixth book. So when you look at and say, gosh, if he just had some of these people, if he hadn't put Romans 1 in there, we wouldn't have all this. Uh, How about I show you that it was an ongoing thing that he was addressing? Because what you see is this, the first thing that hit Paul was the immorality of Rome and he consistently called it out. So let me show you real quick. Let's go to Galatians. In Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, he said, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Notice that word obvious. I mean, he's like, come on, there's not even a disagreement here. This is so, this is like right out there. Look at it. He says, it's sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now look at this, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does anybody else need me to translate that for you now? Okay. Oh, and then he does a follow-up. 1 Thessalonians chapter four, (coughs) verses three through eight. This is two years later. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Does everybody see? He says it is possible for us to control our own body. That's one of the things that separates us from the animal kingdom. The animal kingdom sometimes, those animals can't control their impulses, but God gave us a conscience, a soul, a will. We can have an impulse and we can say no to it. That's what separates us. Please tell me you knew that. Okay. Not passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Look at this last verse. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. And the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Does anybody need me to translate that for you? It's pretty obvious. He said, listen, you're not rejecting a man's opinion. This is God's. Then he moves on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have had sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He is sitting in Corinth. Even Corinth's morals were too much Rome's morals. Rome would go, there's Roman morals, and then there's Corinth. We don't accept Rome, uh, Corinth morals. They're so degraded. They're so horrible. And they would say, oh, you've been Corinthianized, which that was not a compliment. Okay. Then you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 21. For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And you may not find me as you want me to be. Has anybody ever found yourself in that boat before? <laughs> I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. It's after this that we get to Romans. Does that sound like it was a one-time thing that Paul was addressing? No, he's been addressing it his entire ministry. As he immersed himself in Roman culture, he's going, This doesn't work. This is a train wreck. You know, in Jew in in, in Israel, we could could have our culture and operate under the Roman authorities, but they let our culture be our culture and they didn't force themselves into our culture. We could still send our kids to the synagogue to be trained in the religious matters. We could still pray. Sacrifice. We could still do business our way. But Paul then goes to these other cities where there's no influence of that. And it's all Roman culture and Roman values. And he says, it doesn't work. Rome rules the world, but Rome is cracking, it's falling apart, it's destroying lives. It's building an empire, but it's not building people. It's taking them, it's destroying them with its morals and its values. So I have two points today. Trust me, I can make the second one last forever. But let's go to the first one, everybody read it out loud. Rejecting God as the creator leads to the rejection of God's morality. Now, I'm going to back it up a couple verses from what I, we read today. I'm going to go two verses earlier because I need to show you the momentum of what he's saying. He says, therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Let me just pause here. I said this last week. You notice he says he turns them over to their sinful desires. Everyone in this room, if it wasn't for God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness, the sinful desires in your heart would take over and destroy you. We, we are born with a sin nature. We do not have to be taught how to sin. We come out of the womb already engineered. If you don't believe me, go to the two-year-old class. <laughs> Parents are distraught when their child, they're like, where did that come from? And then, and then it becomes a mom and dad conflict. The, the dad says, well, obviously it was your side of the family that just manifested. And of course, she says, oh, no, 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 no. I specifically saw your dad do that one time. So it's on your side of it. The, then it becomes the battle of the genetics, you know, whose side is coming through there. But the point is... If God restra- if God removes, when God removes his mercy and grace, it's not what the world will do to me, it's what's inside of me and what I will do to myself. We need God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness to protect ourselves from ourselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Now we get to what we read today. Because of this, see, they rejected the creator. Because of this, God gave them to over to shameful us. Where's that shameful lust? It's in us. And God protects us, but if I push God out of my life, I open myself up, listen, to being overtaken by the seeds of sin that were already in me. I need God not only to save me, I need God to keep me in check. Even women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Notice it says error because he's recognizing that these people have been deceived. They've been taken advantage of. So here's where, what I want you to know. Notice the verbiage that he's using, natural and unnatural. Do you see that? This is an interesting thing because there's a thing in God's world that is natural. Because why? Because if he's the creator, then he's the one who created the boundaries and so we call those natural boundaries. But see, if I, re- if I reject the creator, then I don't have to accept his boundaries. If I, don't wanna, if I don't wanna trust the one who created me in this world, then I have the ability to throw off restraint from everything that he said. I created this world and it has order. I created you and it has order. But if I don't accept him as my creator, then people say, well, I don't have to accept his boundaries. I can create my own. But here's the thing. God has established that in a natural order and when you go out, you're gonna get unnatural consequence. There's a thing in the law world, they call it natural law. Okay? It's I mean it's basic. You grow food on your land. I come over and I take your food. I steal it. You don't have to be a Christian to go, that's not right. You can be what you can be an atheist. Everybody knows that you, that is stealing. You don't have to be a Christian to know that that's wrong. Everybody knows that taking the life of another person in a violent manner is wrong. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to have a faith. It's, It's natural law. You do not have a right to just indiscriminately snuff somebody else's life out. We all have this. So Paul's recognized, there is a natural law, there's a natural order. God designed our physical being. It is designed to be expressive in certain ways under certain conditions. He's wired us biologically. When I go outside those boundaries, I get complications. It's not my society's problem. It's not the fact that people don't accept me. It's the fact that I've gone outside the creator's boundaries And now I get consequences. As Paul says, there's a penalty for the error. There's a price to be paid. There's ways that this physical body was never designed to be used. And it doesn't matter how much science learns. It doesn't matter how much science there is. The bottom line is there will be consequence because we're not wired by the creator. But see, the comeback is, well, I don't believe in God. Okay. And so that you think that frees you up to make the, your own rules. But I can tell you this, you don't get to choose your consequences. It's a deceit. It's a lie that people are being told. That's why I don't get angry, that's why I don't get all, I, my heart goes out to them. Because listen, if it wasn't for God's grace and mercy, it would be you and I. Because we all have in us the ability For sin to wreck us. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, so sin, listen, sin's not designed to take you on a vacation. It's designed to wreck you. It's designed to destroy you. And you're right. You have the ability to choose either way, but you don't get to choose your consequence because there is a natural order and an unnatural. Number two, read it out loud. Alternative morals apart from God's morals will ruin lives. So this is what he's saying. So this is now Paul, he's done his tour of the Roman Empire and now he's telling you what he has seen from city to city to city to city, it's consistent across the board. What does he say? Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. It doesn't mean God imparted that to me. I ha- we all have a depraved mind. If God doesn't protect us from ourselves, we all have a depraved mind that will take over. That's why the Bible says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? That's so why it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, mind. So we all have to understand, we have those seeds in us. We need God to keep us all in check. Not just, I just don't need him to save me, I need him to keep me. Okay? So God gave them over to pray mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. What he's telling is, is, listen, this is a doorway. This is a gateway. And the, and and what it listen. If you haven't recognized by now, when 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 Satan presents you with a sin, he's going to get you to stay there longer than you wanted to stay. Get you to go further than you ever thought you would go with it. And let me tell you, he's going to make you pay a price that you never thought you would ever pay. And, so, and sometimes you know the names of people who fall into their traps, these traps. They go, I had no intention of my life ever going this far. I never thought that this would happen. And yet here I am incarcerated. Here I am being charged. Here I am with this being, things being faced against me. And I can't believe myself that I did that. Listen, without God's help, every one of us, Is capable because listen, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And notice this it says, they have no understanding. That can be said in a very derogatory way. Let me tell you how Paul meant it. The way he's phrasing it there, no understanding, it means this. Have you ever had the conversation, you told somebody something, and you literally watched it bounce off their forehead? Literally, I mean, you just you could see it. You just boom, and you know, and or you and you say you more, and they just you know they give you the, and you just go. This is this is not going well. I I just shared something, and it's just bouncing off of them because at some point we become so invested in something that we believe in, we can't take any information that might conflict with what we already believe, and so. We won't let it happen. We're not open. We're on, we, only, we only are looking for people who already agree with us. Can I tell you something? The truth can handle scrutiny, a lie can't. You wanna ask questions about the truth? Man, I'm, I'll dialogue with you all day about it. But I've noticed this when you try to dialogue about a lie that somebody has bought into, they get upset. They get angry. They try to pull the plug on that conversation. They start making accusations about you. You don't care. You don't love me. You're not approving. You're rolling me. I know that I'm just asking questions about the issue. I gave you a chance to ask me. I'm just returning that. I would like to make inquiry. But all of a sudden, now it's all personal. That's what sin has a way of just blocking a person's understanding. No new information gets in. Nothing changes. They hear nothing. They won't absorb. They won't talk about it. Then we go on here. It says, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This might surprise you. I have friends who are caught up in various lifestyles. Yeah, but I have never given them the nod that I said it was okay. They do not have the right to ask me to lie. And they do not have a right to ask me to repeat a lie. So they tell me that they've shifted their gender. I said, I will always call you by name, but I will not ever use the pronoun, but I'll call you by your name you do not have a right to ask me to lie. Don't ask me that. I said, I will never put you in a position to lie. But don't put me in that position to lie. And, and listen, to me, they're my friend. See, that's one of the things that we've lost is the ability to have a disagreement and still maintain friendship. But some people, boy, once there's a disagreement, it's over. I'm like, well, man, my marriage would have ended a long time ago. <laughs> You should hear us trying to settle where we're gonna to go to a restaurant. <laughs> it can be an adventure. You know, come on, it, it, you all know, it's, at least my house, here's how it goes. Where do you wanna go eat? I don't know, wherever you want, that's okay. How many know that is a trap? <laughs> that is a trap. By the time I've listed the fourth restaurant, I always respond, this is not going to work if you don't define the playing field a little better because I've come up with four restaurants and you've refuted, you said wherever, and that's not true. I know four that that's not applicable towards, so you gotta communicate to me what you, and I know she's gonna be preaching one of these days and there will be a rebuttal on all this. Yeah, I have, I have friends caught up in the lifestyle because you know why they're my friend? Listen to me. Because they matter to me. They matter. And I am determined not to be that Christian that rolls them under the bus because I know they're going to need a lifeline. I want to be the first name they think of. Even if they go, I know he disagrees with me. He's let me know that. I know he does. Doggone it, he cares. That's my goal. That's why I stay in touch with them. That's why they're my friend. Now, I... Careful about the venues I go to, okay? Because sometimes by going to a particular venue, I'm giving the nod, and I don't want to do that. I'm not approving. So there's some places that I just can't go, and I won't go, because it insinuates that I'm okay with everything. And I'm not. So I say, please don't put me in the position. And I won't put them in the position. Okay? Mutual respect. Honoring one another. So... Let's look at this a little further. While Paul wrote this for a current condition, it actually was prophetic. Everything that he wrote in Romans 1, 18 through 32, was, was, he was true to what he saw in the Roman Empire. But he's also was, I believe, used of God to be prophetic. I don't think Paul maybe knew he was being prophetic, but it was, because everything that he wrote was now going to play out in the emperor's personal life in front of the public. Everything that he wrote, the emperor was now gonna be modeling over the next 12 years. There was no way to forecast that and to actually know it, but it was confirmed on a, what we would say a national stage. Nero was, the empire, or Nero was the emperor at the particular time. So right after Paul wrote the book of Romans, Nero would then begin a slaughter within his own family and circle. He executed his wife, he executed his brother, and he executed his mother because he felt that they were impeding his agenda. Then later on, in the, in, uh, after 60 AD into 64 and on in that particular time, While he was a very immoral person, he would assault people sexually, he engaged particularly with two individuals. And I'm sorry for being so graphic, but our culture requires that I speak to it because culture says our Bible doesn't address it. Yes, it does. So I'm going to try to get it into the PG-13 category the best I can to try to be sensitive. But let me just say that. He would have particular relationships with two male figures. The first one was called Sporus. He had him castrated and modified to be a female to the best that Roman medicine could do of his day. He was a 16-year-old boy. And he had this relationship in the public eye. Then later on, uh, he had a relationship with Dory Forrest and he decided to reverse roles. So Nero himself, while he didn't have any surgery done, he decided that he would play the part of the female in that type of relationship and drew a cross dress and dress up as a female and let Dory Forrest be the primary male. And that played out in front of people's public eye. Well, that kind of appetite continues on. And then later on, Nero would dress himself up like an animal and he would sexually assault people who were restrained, all in the public eye. You read Romans 1, verses 18 through 32, and you realize in the next 12 years, that's gonna be played out in the emperor's life. It is played out in public. You have the culmination. This is what the Roman values have produced. Look at the emperor. This is where Roman values will take you. All played out, and by the way, 68 AD, Nero went mad, took his own life, depraved mind. I'm not saying everybody goes there, but you need to know that's where sin wants to take you. That's the agenda, wants to wreck you, wants to destroy you. Sin is not your friend. It wants to destroy you and it wants to destroy everything that is, that is around you. So there's some prophetic fulfillment even when you read the book of, of Romans. So, let me, you know, so let, me, let me give you some good stuff now. That's not the, this is not the way to send people out the door now. <laughs> let, me be, let me give you some positive. You'll have dialogues with people and they'll say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then you start to hear things that aren't in line with the Bible. You gotta understand, there's a lot of good meaning people. They're more Roman in their beliefs than they are biblical. You need to know that. They think that progressiveness, it's just Roman values coming back 2000 years later. There's nothing new under the sun. Because the Bible's very clear. The Bible was speaking very clearly against Roman values and saying these are the biblical values. We have people who are being swept up by this today. The other part is this. You go back to that passage I read in 1 Corinthians chapter six, and he lists all those wicked deeds. And again, you gotta remember this is Corinth. Their values and their morals were so horrid. It was a little much even for Rome. And Paul is in Corinth. He's watching, I don't have time to describe the wickedness and it, It's over the top stuff that would happen there. And so we list all those sins because they were all happening in Corinth. But we sometimes forget this part. And that is what some people can change. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. People change, people can be delivered. You're not stuck. You weren't born that way. Yeah, but I have this battle. Hey, we all got battles. Okay, but just because I have a battle that is harder than your battle doesn't mean I get a pass. And just because you have a battle in another arena that I don't, doesn't mean you get a pass. We all have to fight battles. Welcome, Welcome to the fact that you are not in heaven yet. So you have to fight a battle. That doesn't, I, when I was a kid and I was in high school, I wanted to dunk the basketball so bad and the best I ever got was touching the rim. It never dawned on me to go, hey, could you lower it down to nine feet so the rest of us could do it? You know, that's, what, that's what's happening in culture. Everybody wants to lower the rim. No, it's not good for you. It's not good for society, but it's not good for you. Because everybody knows it's not 10 feet. Everybody knows the rim's been compromised. We hold God's standard up and we aspire. And when we fall, we get back up and we keep aspiring, but we don't stop. And we don't ask him to lower the rim now I believe, there's a I think he's here this morning. There's so many stories I could tell you of people in this church. You're sitting, you're sitting in a church that has people who've come out of this stuff. You say, I didn't know that. I know. Look how much God changed their life. And you're sitting among them today. A lot of the stories can never be told. Okay, because, they want a new identity in Christ. They want people to see him in a different way now, and they've made some huge strides. And that's, but you know, one, it was at our missions banquet the other night for the scholarship. I was interviewing Rick, who does our missions team, and he said it publicly. So you know, I'm going to say it publicly. I said, Rick, I was interviewing. I said, Rick, how does a guy like you get doing mission trip? You're a businessman. You're, you got responsibilities, and, man, you're, you're doing two trips, sometimes three overseas, and you do a bunch within the U.S. You're constantly taking people in our congregation with you. How does a guy like you get to doing that? And he, he was hesitant, and I kept asking, and he finally went there. He said, because back in the early 2000s, I was sitting in maximum security. He said my grandfather was the only one to come see me. He said, I grew up in church, man. I knew better. Just walked away. And look where it took me. God's changed my life. And now, I wanna take people with me to help other people be free. Let me tell you, if, a guy can, if God can take a guy like that and change his life, and give him the passion to do what he's doing and help people be a part of God's activity. Hey, I know this, God changes. there's always hope if you're ready to reach out. God changes people's lives. If he doesn't do that, I'm not sure why we're here. All right, I promise this is the last verse, here it is. So now you have a better understanding of Romans 12, verses one and two, because he's talking about all this immorality People are using their bodies for the wrong reason. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, of you, of God's mercy. How many have heard me talk about mercy today? Offer your what? Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Stop using it as a tool for immorality. Use it as a sacrifice for God's glory. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You say, well, you don't know my thoughts. In my mind, I listen, be transformed by renewing of your mind. You're not stuck with how you think. God can change that. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing, perfect will. Nobody in this room is without hope. Nobody in your family is without hope. No one who is your friend is without hope. Even people who call themselves your enemy are not without hope. Don't give up on them. Love them. Because when this social experiment is over, they're going to need people who care about them genuinely and I'm not about you I want to be one of those folks who comes to their mind that says I need to call him because he cares and I tell people that all the time you're whether you hate me love me whatever you're stuck with me because it matters to me what happens to you so you're stuck and everybody said amen Come on, let's stand to our feet. But as we wrap up the service, can you praise him? Come on, let's lift our hand. Can you praise him for his mercy and grace that protects you? Come on, man, even that. God's grace has protected you from some of the desires in your own heart. He's loved you and protected you.